Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There Halloween episode. Welcome back, nature nerds, to this special episode made just for you for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween episode. If all goes well, you should be receiving this... On Halloween. Well, maybe Guam time Halloween. Sure, sure, sure. So like a day before. It's perfect. It's a little present, even though you don't get presents for Halloween. This is where America's day begins, (laughs) so it's the real Halloween. That's right. So I hope you have your costumes. You're not like a last minute costumer like I am. Get it together, Jen. Where you just grab random stuff. I have asked my son, I don't know, 10 times. This is going to be great to listen to this because at this point in time Mm -hmm. here on October 15th, I do not know what he wants to be for Halloween. He's tried to explain it to me. He said he wants to be a monster that's wearing kind of like a potato sack, but also has a red tie. And I was like, oh, so do you want like kind of a suit situation? Like you busted out of the suit as a monster? And he was like, no, I want to wear something that's like a potato sack, like kind of creepy uh-huh. with a like monster makeup, monster, whatever. I don't know if he wants a mask or something like that. But can you also get me a red tie? I was like, why the red tie? He was like, because I like red ties. It's creepy. Potato sacks as clothes is very creepy. Right. So one time there was this kid in oh, high no. school and he wore a potato sack one day to school. Like in protest of like having people trying to dress a certain way to be cool. Oh, yeah. Well, he was like ahead of his time. Yeah. And unfortunately, because it was the 90s and mm. people were just Awful. shitheads. Yeah. I believe that he didn't make it past high school. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I won't go into it, but yeah. Oh, that's so sad, Jen. Yeah, it's very sad. Teenagers, that's a, it's a hard time. They're kind of the worst. It's, it's a difficult time of life. I definitely learned how to like put my eyes to the ground and just walk that way everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I was in middle school, high school, like I'm just not looking at anybody. Mm-hmm. And once someone told me that because I wore a braid in my hair a lot or like my mom would double braid my hair and I mm-hmm. looked down at the ground, they thought that I was really stuck up. Like I was better <laughs> than everybody. And so I wasn't even going to acknowledge them like that was. And I was like, wow, I was insanely insecure. I have really bad <laughs> RBF and it just didn't serve me well. Just you do. It's true. Yeah. And one of your daughters is very good at it. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. High school. It's rough. You know, if we have any younger people listening. Yeah. If you're having a rough time, make some phone calls. Don't do anything drastic. Yeah. And definitely. Because that kid was right. Yeah. And he was really cool. He was just different. And it's okay to be different. Like I look back at him now and I'm like, that was a very cool statement he was making yes and i wish more people had seen it that way that's true yeah and actually i feel like my son's you know like our kids generation Mm -hmm. they're very welcoming i mean there are still some kids who are not very nice right yeah well thank god for the anti-bullying stuff i don't think it's it totally works because there's social media and it's really hard to keep track of what's happening on social media but i feel like it's a little better but you know speaking of what you're going to dress as this year there's an article in the new york post from a couple of days ago Mm -hmm. that people i guess twitter is going nutso because people are dressing up as jeffrey dahmer for halloween oh no and they're posting pictures of it and it's like hey 
basically, so they say the internet has put out a PSA that dressing up like serial killer and cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer, who has research and notoriety from the hit Netflix series Dahmer, is not acceptable. So impersonating Dahmer for kicks is not only blatantly disrespectful to the families of the 17 deceased, but also Mm. shows a disturbing, tasteless side of one's psyche. So they're like, don't do it. It's not cool. You got problems. It's not a good costume. Yeah. I'm like, okay, if you want to dress up as a fictional serial killer, like Michael Myers, got it. Yes. Makes sense. Yes. Freddy Krueger. Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Makes sense because these are horror movie. They're not real. Not real. Those those actors were not really killed. Yes. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. You know, fictional characters, a hundred percent. Serial killers, that's like a weird line. That's a weird line to cross. Like that's not funny. It's not mm-hmm. funny. It's not cool. Um, yeah. They're people like real people died. Died. Horribly. Horribly. I yes. still can't watch. I'm not. I can't finish watching Dahmer. I tried. I almost wish I hadn't, honestly. But... I tried, but I had to stop. And it, it's not going to. I know I keep talking yeah. about it like every episode, no, it's, but it's because it's, it's Halloween and I was trying to watch scary stuff. And no. What you should watch is this show called The Watchers. Oh, really? That's good. Oh, I'm in the middle of it right now. OK, going to do it. Um, I need to catch up on my American Horror Story stuff, too. Yes. I haven't watched it in like a couple of years because mm-hmm. it, it just... The clown one, I was like, I can't. The clown one was really hard. It was too real. Okay? I couldn't. I Let's couldn't. I had to stop. Yeah. Because it was scary. Once you get past some of that uh, season, it's better. But I think because it started with a very real horror show mm-hmm. um, of like the 2016 election, like you just cannot. Yeah. Like that part was very difficult for me to it, watch. It at, hit too close at the time. Know, I think Jen, it was still too, too raw at the time. As a liberal snowflake, I just want to say <laughs> that... Yes, I was like, I don't want to rewatch this. I don't. I'll just relive it. It's like, I know. depressing. And then throw some clowns in there. It just it's, really, it was too much. It was over the top horror. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I might rather, try again. I would rather watch Saw. You know, like I can't sit through those kind of. Those make me ill. I can't. Yeah, they turned my stomach. What was so. the one? Oh, the House of a Thousand Corpses. We have a friend. I couldn't watch it. Who said that she loves that movie? I'm like, and is like super into Rob Zombie. And I was how? like, you need that. That is so frightening to me. I really hate it. And I love that person. We both love that the person. Thing is, but is like, that I how? feel like when you watch those things, and I know people are like, it's not real. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that I'm like, what if that was ever done to somebody? Yeah. And I feel like in our whole world of things, like everything's been done to everybody at some point, somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just really freaks me out. Yeah. Because I'm like, I know it's a movie, but, but I don't like to think about those things. Is there a true story it version of It just goes a little too far. Yeah. My favorite like little ghost movie is The Others. With oh, Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Kidman. I love that movie. That actually is a really great suspense, like thriller yes it's really good it's a really like a classic ghost movie yes i agree and it has a twist it's great if you haven't seen it i won't go into it just go watch it it's very good it's like the sixth sense oh that's another great one another great movie yeah Mm -hmm. i love a good ghost story with a twist but just people getting like mutilated and stuff i'm just not into it i don't know if i mentioned this on a pre i'm sure i have like this is a regular thing that i will watch scary movies that as long as they like will end with like a happiness at the end you know like like that one that's like the orphanage or something and it's like a spanish orphanage and oh, like, yeah, i think i saw and that. like in the end everybody is like the ghosts are all freed to wherever the afterlife and you know everybody's happy and whatever like those kind of things i'm always like oh good i do not like when at the very last minute in the credits they, so, pl- they play something. Yeah. That's like, you and know? then, you know, and then that I'm like, the person didn't die. All you know what, though, what I have learned from watching scary movies is that 
you need to like, you know, really like chop off somebody's head to know they're dead. Mm -hmm. Like make sure they're dead. Yeah. Don't just like hit them with something and And then then you think you're okay. No, that doesn't work. In these movies, like you need to make sure that the killer is really dead. And that is why I like the uh, series Scream because they always make sure in the end, like it's kind of a, it's like a running joke. Yeah. Whenever we watch a scary movie, you know, and then the killer has been like, quote unquote, killed and they're laying on the ground, you know, and then the other person is like, I got to go check on this other person who could totally just sit there until the police come. Yeah. Like just they're fine. Just make sure that person is dead or else make sure they're tied up. I don't know. Incapacitated. I I, I feel like if in these extreme movies where they're so like they're killing like all these people. Yeah. Like, just kill the hell out of them. Just get it done. Get it done. Make that. De- just make sure and they're dead. Specifically, we're talking about the evil people in these fictional stories. Fictional. Are... I'm talking about fictional yes. stories. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, if somebody, if something happened to me mm-hmm. or, like, my kids, I would dead somebody real quick. Oh, yeah. Real quick. There oh, would yeah. be no hesitation. Absolutely. Just try me. Just kidding. Don't. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I actually have a science news. All right. Let's hear your science news. Um... Again. In keeping up with the Halloween spirit. So it's from Science Daily. And this is from January of this year. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit old, but it is entitled Haunted House Experience Scares Up Interesting Insights on the Body's Reaction to Threats. I feel like if it's in January, maybe they did the study around Halloween time and then published. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which yeah. is pretty quick. That's cool. Yeah. This article is from the Association for Psychological Science. Researchers used a haunted house experience to study participants' subjective and psychological responses to perceived threats in a safe yet immersive environment. The The research was held, like I said, in a haunted house setting. It included 17 rooms with various threats. <laughs> yeah. That formed in an uninterrupted experience. The researchers examined how the body responds to threats differently depending on the social context like whether friends are around also features of threats whether they were expected and emotions whether they were individual whether like how scared were they yeah based on their reaction to study the effects of frightening experiences previous studies use scary images mild electric shocks like what the heck or loud noises in the current study there was 156 participants total that went through the haunted house in these small groups and during the 30-minute experience they encountered situations that mimicked threats of suffocation an oncoming speeding car a volley of shots like a firing squad what yeah and the participants wore real-time psychological monitoring wristbands to measure their electrodermal activity or sweat-induced changes in the skin's electrical characteristics, including skin conductance level. That's a new one for me. (laughs) And skin conductance response. Okay, got it? Okay. This is very scientific. I would break that wristband. It would be broken. (laughs) (laughs) You already threw it at people. Yeah. Before visiting the haunted house, they were asked to rate their expected fear on a scale from 1 to 10, and then afterward they did it again. And so they looked at four factors, which including group composition, threat, imminence, interpersonal factors of fear, and baseline orienting response. So those are the kind of things they looked at. In the end, the findings revealed that basically, on average, the more friends that participants had with them while going through the haunted house, the higher their physical response. 
So if you're with your friends, yeah. the finding shows the more friends you had with you, yeah. the more response you had like because you're picking you up all of their feelings as oh. well. And you and maybe you want to protect them from those perceived threats. Right. The person doing the study said, we interpreted this to reflect fear contagion. If your friends are around, your body picks up on their signals um, and has a higher level of arousal, they call. <laughs> I guess this could go across many studies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, a higher level of arousal, even in the absence of specific scares or startles. Mm. In the lab, it's difficult to study the effects of groups on physiology. Mm. So they usually study like one person at a time. Right. Yeah. They also looked at all the other factors. Yeah. Um, and basically said, so there were what, 14 rooms? Right. Like, if you went into whatever their reaction was in the first room, if you were, it was a strong reaction, mm. it just was that way the entire time or it got more, it got worse, <laughs> which would be you. Yeah. That would be me at the door. Like nothing's even right. opened yet. But if you had kind of like a varied reaction response in the first one, or maybe not a strong response, yeah. then it would kind of get decreased as you went through, which would be me. I would like, how can I make this in my mind, know that this isn't real. Right. And these are people. Yes. And like that lady over there, I think I saw her somewhere, you know, like I would would try to like make it. So that might be me. Right. And then as I go through, I'm like, that's dumb. That's not real. (laughs) And I would keep telling myself that so I wouldn't get scared. That's a tactic. That's a tactic. Yeah. I would be like, that's that's so dumb. It's not real. But if you're with friends that are just losing their minds, then, you know, you react to that as well. So that's basically what the study said. It makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing as like when people are in a crowd at like a speech or something and they're really feeding off of the energy. It's like that feeding off of the energy. Mob mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what I'm gathering from this study is in order for me to be less scared. Go by yourself. Go by myself. I, I never gonna. I happen. feel like for you, just never go to one or again. go with go with strangers, As, I don't or know. you go with me because then you would pick up on my vibes, and I'd be like, Megan, it's not real. Look at look at that. You can see their makeup. Yeah, or like look at that bad costume. Oh no, yeah, and no one wants to go with me. I would just ruin <laughs> it. But it's my own tactic, or just never go. It just never go. Yeah. That's my tactic. Okay. It's like, I'm as good. your friend, I would never take you to a haunted house. I just want you to know that. I appreciate I would that. never pressure you into I have that. had many friends who have attempted to pressure me into going. Uh-huh. And it's one of those things where, like, I'm kind of a yes person. Like, I'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, cool, whatever. And then when I got to that, I'd be like, absolutely not. And they would be like, but why not? Like, <laughs> let's like, go. I'll let's be in the car. And I'd be like, I will end you. Like, we are not <laughs> going. This friendship is ending right it's now. It's over. Yeah. Like, I don't even, I'm not, I'm striking your name out of my book right now. Right. Yeah. Got you. So, All right. but not my son. I can't strike my son's name. No, out of the book, so. no. Yeah. Well, now he has a bunch of friends. He can yeah. go with them. Yeah. Okay. There are some haunted houses. I would just mention this. Like if like a YMCA puts on a haunted house or something. Oh, like a cute one. Like a cute one. And you know the people working and there. And you know the people working yeah. there. I mean, I never went through those. What if you participated in a haunted house? I would be the worst. Because I, okay, so on the... You'd be like, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, okay, there's that. And then on the flip side, I'm really bad at surprises. So I would be giggling, you know, I'd be like, I'm about to jump out at them. You know, I would ruin the scare. Like, that's what would happen. That would be great. So I'm, yeah, I would be too amped up 
about, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to scare this person, you know. But, right. And then I would feel bad about it after because I would know how they were feeling. Like, what yeah. if somebody cried? I would be like, because oh, my God, I'm them. so sorry. I'd be like, let me take the makeup off. Let me I'm a, I'm, I'm just a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd just be crying with them. Anyway, um, that was a great science news. Oh, yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for your scary story. My is it scary? story. It is actually, Jen, it is a little scary. All right. I will say. Oh, by the way, if you're not a patron and you're not getting our bonus episodes, Mm -hmm. go sign up for that because we did an October scary haunted episode. Halloween-y. Halloween-y for our patrons. Yeah. So check it out if you want some more scary stories. Excellent. Okay, let's do this. All right, Jen. So I came up with this week's episode because I was thinking of a, a few things. Uh-huh. First, I thought about Gremlins, right? I love Gremlins. Because that's a really great Halloween movie that also has Christmas in it. Uh-huh. And there's something about the combination of a Christmas Halloween movie that I really like. I don't like the super Like Nightmare sappy. Before Christmas. Yeah. There's something about it that it's like a kind of gothic, morbid Christmas. Like, I kind of like that. I don't like the super gory ones. Like, I don't want to watch the ones where it's like what is a Krampus or whatever I don't want to watch that but I'll watch the kind of like creepy Christmas stories I don't really like the super sappy really sweet Christmas stories I want it to be real like Like Hallmark Hallmarky Christmas I can't do the Hallmark I can't do it well I can't do romantic comedies I just like any romantic stuff I just like yell at the screen with it like really well it's the same formula over and over it's like when she gets to the inn and like the super hot guy turns out he's a carpenter you know and she's like oh my and I'm like come on I just can't I just can't yeah but I like it when they're creepy but yeah not too scary or gory and I was also seeing that Victoria Knits was doing a bunch of stories about how it's getting colder in Montana. So I was like, in my brain, I started thinking about, I mean, gremlins and then also fire safety in the home. Uh-huh. And then the last reason that ties into the, the episode altogether, I'll talk about when I get to that part. So okay, those well, are hi, Victoria. Kind of, that was my brain. So folks who are listening might be like, this is a super weird combination of items, but this is basically my brain. Well, okay. in Gremlins, well, we love your brain. And in yeah. Gremlins, doesn't the dad die in the fire? In a chimney. In chimney. a chimney, yeah. So today, I read this article that Vice suggested. It's from Ranker that starts out, deaths from getting stuck in a chimney are not common, but they do happen, according to officials from the Chimney Safety Institute of America. Oh, my gosh. So I wasn't sorry. I didn't mean to ruin that no. for you. I was totally like, that was the that was the most morbid part of Gremlins. It was so morbid. Yeah. When I watched that, I'm like, geez. That was heavy. That was hardcore. Yeah. And then they just went along with the rest of the story. They're like, la dog. Look at these gremlins. <laughs> oh, so sad. Okay. Yeah. I read this article. It starts out, it's a terrible idea to try to access a house through a chimney, says Russ Dimmitt, director of education for the Chimney Safety Institute. It's just a bad idea. It unfortunately happens occasionally. Uh, Dimmitt and then this other uh, woman, Darcy Marlett, who's a spokesman or spokeswoman for the Chimney Safety Institute, they both said that they're unaware of anybody who keeps statistics on deaths of people stuck inside chimneys. So there's no real statistic on that. Okay, well, someone, I tried someone to look needs to get on that. Someone does. There's a lot of anecdotal stories. Wow. I guess for this episode, it's more of like, I know our podcast is called You're Gonna Die Out There, but in this case, it's <gasps> You're Gonna Die In There. Ew. <laughs> All right, so let's start out with some home fire safety tips because people are gonna be lighting fires. I mean, not us here in Guam, but people in like cold places are going to be lighting fires inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got these from the EPA's smoke awareness kit and actually the PDF for this will be linked in the show notes in case you need to, you know, refresh yourself. Yeah, on these safety things. first. 
All right. So the National Fire Protection Association estimates that in 2011, so it's a little bit dated, heating equipment was involved in an estimated 53,600 reported U.S. home structure fires with associated losses of 400 civilian deaths, 1,500 civilian injuries, and $893 million in direct property damage. And then these fires accounted for 14% of all reported home fires. That's a lot of fires. That's a lot of fires. Yeah. In 2013, one home structure fire was reported every 85 seconds. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. It's nuts. Can I just tell you real quick that my husband, mm-hmm. being from the islands, yeah. um, so on Guam, all of our houses are concrete boxes, yeah. Yeah. basically. They're just straight up concrete. It's true. Because of typhoons. Yeah. But also, no fires. No fires. Because there's no wood. I mean, you could have a fire, but it wouldn't last long. Yeah. Because it's a concrete house. Yeah. So my husband's always like, well, every time we watch TV <laughs> for things happening in the you know news yeah. and, you know, houses just being burned or blown away or whatever because mm-hmm. they're wood or tornadoes or whatever, he's like, why don't people just build concrete houses? And I'm like, look. Listen. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like concrete houses are probably more labor-intensive, too. Probably more costly, labor-intensive. They're a little hard to maintain. Like, you need to make changes. Mm -hmm. You got to bust out. You got to, like... You bust out have, all the concrete. Yeah, you have to have like a special. What are those dr- impact drills? Like, so when we had anything. to fix our plumbing in the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. it was a major ordeal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, well, and when you had that door removed and replaced, you had the door moved over. Oh, I remember yeah. coming to your house and I was like, "This is trippy." It was a complete. Yeah, it yeah. was a complete concrete removal, and then you have to buy more block, the big blocks, and fit them into that space. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it was interesting. Concrete. Anyway, just a islander's perspective, <laughs> throwing it in there. There you go. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the leading factor con- contributing to home heating fires was failure to clean, principally creosote uh, from solid fuel heating equipment, primarily chimneys. So the soot that's, that's up what in your caused- chimney. That is the leading factor really? of fires in well, the home. Well, so growing up, had a fire. I'm sure you did. Yeah, we all yeah. have it. My my mom would always like. I don't know. However often she'd have the chimney cleaned. Yeah, because yeah, you have to get because it done. of that. You have to get it done, Jen. The EPA estimates there are more than 17.5 million fireplaces, 241,000 hydronic heaters, and and 10.1 million wood stoves nationwide. That's a lot of cleaning. That's got to be done. That's a lot. That's a job. That's hey, do any do any uh, chimney cleaners listen to us? Chimney sweeps? Let us know. Right? The EPA also estimates that 65% or 6.5 million of the nation's wood stoves are older, inefficient devices. Uh, smoke from wood-burning stoves and fireplaces contain a mixture of harmful gases and small particles, and breathing those particles in can cause asthma attacks, severe bronchitis. They can aggravate heart and lung disease and may in- increase the likelihood of respiratory illness. The EPA recommends replacing your old wooden stove, and you should get, it's like an EPA certified stove that has like low smoke or no smoke, mm-hmm. um, and they these are the reasons why they say you should do this. It saves money, fuel, time, and resources. It's up to 50% more efficient, energy efficient. It uses a third less wood for the same heat, and it cuts that creosote buildup in chimneys that helps reduce the risk of fire. So the EPA is like, get on this, you guys. Wow. Yeah. I guess I never think about it because I haven't I haven't had a chimney or yeah. <laughs> like a fire, indoor fire. Yeah, if in- you're going to have a fire here, it's like you have it outside and it's for grilling. Yes. Nine times out of ten. Or you're burning some, you know, vegetation or cardboard or something. Totally. Totally. Yeah, inside. But I haven't thought about it in like 20 years. Um, The EPA also says to reduce smoke, you should burn dry wood that has been split, stacked, covered, and stored for at least six months. 
Never burn garbage, plastics, or pressure-treated wood. Oh, yeah. Of come course. on. Yeah. On. Research estimates 70% of smoke from chimneys can actually re-enter your home and your neighbor's home. Your neighbor's home? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess because it's coming out and then go. Yeah. yeah. It's like when your neighbors, you're like, oh, somebody's got it, a fire. It's like an exhaust. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, I mean, consider that. And then they also say to consider using a HEPA filter in the same room as your stove or fireplace. That will help reduce indoor particle pollution by 60%. So... Wow. Also, I was thinking about getting one for like where I clean the cat boxes just to reduce the particles from the cat litter. Good times. So that top concern from the EPA about not properly cleaning your chimneys, that got me thinking about the good old chimney sweep, Jen. And so I read a little bit about chimney sweeps. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim chim. So much fun. Okay. <laughs> uh, so chimneys have been around a long time. Basically, once we figured out fire and then we wanted to make it inside so that we weren't doing the fire outside in the rain or snow or whatever, that's, mm-hmm. you know, chimneys started to be like, how do we get this smoke out of here? This isn't good. So the earliest extant example, I guess like still intact example of a chimney in Britain is from 1125 AD and it is in the keep of the Connus Borough Castle in Yorkshire. Wow. Yeah. Yorkshire. Love history. <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. At first, there would be one heated room in the building. So around this time, like 1125, 1200, there would be one big heated room in the building and the chimneys were like massive. Mm-hmm. And that would kind of like heat the whole. It's like you would ha- want a room really close to that room <laughs> so that you would be warm. Right. And then over the next 400 years, rooms became more specialized and smaller. And then those individual rooms started being heated with their own chimneys. Uh, sea coal started to replace wood, and that coal started to deposit a layer of flammable creosote in the inside surface of the flue, like the thing going up the chimney mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. opening, and then caked it with soot. And in fact, way back in 1582, the Tudors in England, they created an ordinance controlling materials that you could construct a chimney out of. So you could only use brick and stone instead of plastered timber, and they required chimneys to be swept four times a year to prevent the buildup of the soot because they realized that this is a threat. Like people are dying from these things. So there's Mm -hmm. like fires, whatever. And at that time, any chimney fire could be fined three shillings and four pence. And because I'm like that, Jen, I found out what that's worth in today's money. Uh It's 39 pounds, 86, whatever, 39.86 pounds. (laughs) It's like a hundred bucks. In 2022, that's $44 in the U.S. money. Oh, I went the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. So when I was in England, and but this was like 2007-ish, mm-hmm. it was like you could take the pound, like a pound and double it, and that would be what it was. In you. But I guess now it's like... Now, yeah. It's different. <laughs> That's why I was like, wait a second. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the dollar's weaker Ooh. now. The okay. dollar or the pound? The dollar. Oh. Because the dollar is $44 and the pound is 39 What you could buy with $44 in America, you could buy in England for $39. So the pound would be stronger. Yeah, okay. it's more buying power. Okay. Right? Oh, my God. Hopefully I'm thinking of this right. Maybe somebody's like, Jesus, you guys are idiots. Wait. I I don't know. No, you're right. It makes perfect sense. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. It's my brain, not yours. No worries. No worries. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, just to let you know, in 1580, you could buy one of the following with three shillings, four pence. You could buy zero horses, zero cows, (laughs) (laughs) zero wool, uh, zero stones of wool, uh, zero quarters of wheat. But you could be paid for three days. That's uh, wages for three days. Which bought nothing. Which bought nothing. <laughs> it bought nothing. Some gruel, Jen. Wow. I wonder how many days you had to work. Yeah. I found this website that does this like ancient conversion. And then it tells you what you could buy at that time. It's like nothing. It's like nothing. Yeah. Oh, man. So, And that's, a, Jen, that's three days of wages for a skilled tradesman. Well. Does that blow your mind? It's a history. 
history. And that's why there's so many like scary things because yeah. things were just kind of messed up in a lot of ways. We're about to talk Listen about to it. Listen to the bonus episode. <laughs> yes. So the Industrial Revolution came around and people started moving into cities from their pastoral work. And they then there was like this big increase in houses with chimneys and every, they're all kind of together. Like everybody's living together in like mm-hmm. very small, cramped, whatever. Even like the nice neighborhoods, it's like house after house, like row houses. And the chimney sweep started to become like a real big job because they're everywhere. Chimneys right. are everywhere. Additionally, buildings were being built higher before And because there were more houses or occupants to things like apartments, like there are more people inside there with their own chimneys, chimneys tops were being grouped together. And I guess in an effort to make chimneys safer, they started making the flues narrower so that it would be just like less of a chance of like a buildup of a lot of gases in the flue in the Mm -hmm, chimney. mm -hmm. And so they started being like super narrow. And in many cases, different flues were also angled because it was like, okay, let's say you live on apartment one, like first floor, but it's like a five-story building. Mm -hmm. And then your flue has to like make it all the way to the top. So it's kind of like out. So it has to like, it has to like, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of angles to kind of get it up there to Mm -hmm. where it needs to be. Um, And then fun fact, Buckingham Palace had one flue with 15 angles with the flue narrowing to nine inches by nine inches. That's 23 by 23 centimeters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, super tiny. Um, And this made it super difficult and complex to clean. Because of the quantity of them, the narrowness, the angles, etc., chimney sweeping was one of the more difficult, hazardous, super dangerous things. But it was also low paying because that's how it is. Listen, Megan, (laughs) all you needed was a three-year-old. You know what, Jen? It's funny you mentioned that because before labor laws, I remember young boys <laughs> as young as four years old would mm-hmm. climb hot flues chimneys to clean them out. Uh, the general age to start training the children as sweeps apprentices was six. So, you know, that was older. That was, But four years old, I think, is the youngest recorded that they say. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to, you know, you got to get somebody small enough to get in there. They got to get in there. The master sweep, who's the adult, right? The like mm-hmm. dude who's like... The master sweep, obviously unable to climb in these Dick small... Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. He unable to climb in such small spaces. So they employed these climbing boys to go up the chimneys and dislodge the suit. So they would buff it by climbing naked. I'll go through like exactly how they would do it. They would propel themselves by naked? their... Naked? Naked. By their knees and elbows. Wait, the little kids? The little kids. Jesus. Little kids, Jen. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you even more about it a little bit later. And their elbows and knees would get scraped raw from climbing up these chimneys. Uh, many times they were put into hot chimneys. Sometimes with a fire going at the time. What? Common issues included scrapes, burns, chimney sweep carcinoma, which is a specific kind of cancer we'll talk about. Hygiene, they rarely washed and they would be covered in soot like a long time. Anyway, we'll talk about that as well. The worst, of course, was that they could get burned to death. They could also get stuck and suffocate either from smoke inhalation or from what's called positional asphyxia. Basically, they would kind of get their knees trapped in front of them, and then they wouldn't be able to inhale Mm -hmm. as much as they needed to, and then they would uh, die. Could people just not put out their fires for a minute? Just, right? Just turn, just stop the fire. Stop it. Because there's a (laughs) six-year-old or a four-year-old, like, in your... In your chimney. In your chimney. Mm -hmm. From 1775 onward... There was an increasing concern for the welfare of the boys. Someone really? was like, hey, oh, we should Somebody's care like, about these. This doesn't seem right. This, Yeah. But why are they doing this? And acts of parliament were passed to restrict the using of the boys and sometimes <laughs> the girls. So there were also oh, girls yeah. who were put in this job. I'm sure. 
From about 1803, there was an alternative method, brushing chimneys, but sweeps and their clients didn't like it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was like a mechanical brush. They preferred sending the climbing boys up there instead of using these new uh, machines. The first mechanical sweeper was invented by George Smart in 1803. It wasn't, like I said, not very popular. But then later in 1828, Joseph Glass reimagined it. And because it was a little bit better and people liked it more, um, he was credited with being the inventor of the modern chimney sweeps brush. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Compulsory education was established in 1870 by the Education Act of 1870, but it was a further five years before legislation was put in place to license chimney sweeps and finally prevent boys being sent up chimneys. So I'm going to give a little more detail on all of those things. We're going to start with a typical day in the life of a master sweep. Like, in my mind, when I was reading about this, it was like when um, TikTokers will be like, this is what I do in a typical day. And then they like show you what they do. The new POV thing. Yeah. It took me a while to figure that out. I was like, what is POV? So I was watching Murder Maps. I have not seen that. You should watch Murder Maps. It's Um, pretty fun. Yeah. Interesting. Because it's all historical murders and they kind of say where it happened. And a lot of them are, not all of them, but a lot of them are in England. Yeah. And so, and it's, yeah, it's just stuff that happened, like terrible stuff. But there's one about this lady who... Basically got sentenced to death because anytime you killed somebody, they hung you back then. So there were so many women giving away babies because it was so bad to have a baby out of wedlock. Oh, my God. And so she would take them and say that she was adopting them, but she didn't. And she would just let them (gasps) die. I think she gave them laudum or something to lot. What is that stuff? Anyway, so laudanum. Laudanum. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And so anyway, she was a a terrible human. But Mm -hmm. it just makes me think of that because they were talking about how there was just so many orphans back then. Right. Because either women were having children out of wedlock, which is totally normal. But back then, like not okay, Not acceptable. uh, Or parents were just dying because it was the right. Yeah. It was just like bad, bad news. Hygiene was like like, not a thing. So kids were just all over the place. So you'd be like, who wants to be like, make some money? Me, me. And then they would because they want to eat. And then they would just throw them in like chimneys, I guess. That's exactly, Jen. Horrific. It's horrible. Yeah. And I should mention that I'm speaking about Britain and all of this stuff. This is specifically the UK. It's not that different in other places, but specifically the UK is like known for this. This. Yeah, we saw Mary Poppins. Everybody saw Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, so, yeah, a typical day in the life of a master sweep and his sometimes many apprentices, uh, they would walk up and down the streets yelling, suit o sweep. Something else that's like catchy for mm-hmm. people to be like, oh, shit, I got to clean my chimney. Like that needs to be done. That's advertising. Advertising. Yeah. yeah. And then when someone hired them, like opened their door and was like, you in here, clean this. Bring those kids. The master sweep would put a cloth. Everybody's seen it in Mary Poppins. Put the cloth over the fireplace on the ground. Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the fireplace. And then the climbing boy would take off his boots and any excess clothing. He would get naked and then get behind the cloth. And the boy would pull his cap down over his face and hold that large flat brush over his head and wedge his body diagonally into the flue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then he would shimmy up the flue like a caterpillar using the brush to like dislodge the large soot. And then the soot would fall over him to the bottom, onto the cloth that's at the bottom. And then he would also have like a little scraper. So if he got to a part where there's like a solid piece, you know, mm-hmm. he would have to scrape that off, you know, it'd fall down to the soot pile. So what did the grown-ups do? They were just down there. Like, you're doing a great job, kid. Yeah. Uh, when he got to the top, you know, he's like done. He would then slide down the whole flue mm-hmm. and land into the soot pile. 
So you're almost like hoping that there's a lot of soot. Like, I want to know, were they okay? <laughs> like you're just sliding down. I mean, maybe it wasn't because they were so angled and stuff. So they're having to go up these angles, like turn angles and contort their bodies. Oh my God. It's insane. So then at the end, you know, he would, I assume, get dressed and then they would bag up the soot and carry it back to. So in some cases, they just put the kids in there. The kids did the thing at the end, wrapped up the soot, brought it out to the cart where the master was. Mm -hmm. And they would do this four or five times a day, like four or five chimneys a day is like what they were aiming for. Yeah, just like because I'm pretty claustrophobic. Just the thought of that. Oh, no, it's it's pretty awful. Yeah. At that time. And having your hat over your face, you can hardly breathe. Right. And then you have particles falling down on you. Uh Uh-huh. And around you. And how do they breathe in there? Not very well. Oh, my God. At that time, soot uh, that they collected was a valuable commodity. And they could sell it for nine pence a bushel in 1840, which is like $2.60 something in pounds. So Mm -hmm. 260 in pounds in 2022. And they would, like I said, do four or five chimneys a day. And then in order to build calluses on their elbows and knees and like feet and hands, whatever, very quickly, so they could get up and down the chimney without getting open scrapes as often, the master sweep would stand the boys super close to a hot fire and then rub their knees and elbows with a strong brine, like a salt brine, uh, using a brush to like callus up their skin. And they did that every night until the skin was hard and calloused. Fun fact. Oh gosh. I'm going to say fun fact, but I'm like, maybe it's There's super depressing. There's nothing fun about this. This is super depressing. I mentioned that they're usually unwashed. So actually the boys would sleep together on the floor of, the, or like in a cellar or something like that under the um, suit sacks, like the sacks that they would collect the suit in. And that was called, quote, sleeping black, which makes me think, is that where sleeping bags came from? I mean, I think sleeping bags came from something else, but it made me think of that, that they're just sleeping under these like bags of soot. Ugh. And like cloths that they use during the day to get the soot. I guess it was just too much effort to try and clean it off if they're just going to go back out there the next day and the next day. Exactly. They would get a yard bath. So sometimes like the the master's wife would like take them out to the yard in like a tub and kind of hose them off like once a week. That that's like luxury, okay? Once a week. But I read about a Nottingham sweeper that would only let his apprentices wash three times a year: Christmas, Whitsun, and the Goose Fair. I don't know what those last two are. I mean, obviously I know what Christmas is, but I don't know what Whitson and the Goose Fair. Yeah. Sometimes the children, Jen, children, they would need encouragement to get up the chimneys faster so they could do more chimneys. And so the master sweep would light a small fire on a straw or a brimstone candle and like kind of put it up behind him to keep him going. Uh, When the boys got stuck, because it happened... That they would get is that stuck. what they is that where a light and a fire under your butt? Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh god, that's awful. And now I never want to use that. Most again. of the things, those sayings are not. They're not okay. They're not okay. So when the boys got stuck, it happened a lot that they would get stuck. Um, they would either be pushed out from below. Sometimes the masters would actually prick their butts and feet with needles to keep them awake. You know, because they didn't want them to pass out and possibly die so they would do that to keep them awake and then they would kind of push them up and then sometimes they were let uh, like a rope was let down from the top but imagine that you're stuck in a half cleaned flue and maybe you start to panic like oh shit i'm stuck and Mm -hmm. definitely these boys heard of other boys you know like i'm sure they all talked about like this kid got stuck that kid whatever Mm -hmm. um and then you start to struggle and you got your hat over your face there's soot all around you While you're struggling, even more soot gets dislodged and then you're covered in it. 
And that is one of the more common ways that the boys would actually suffocate was that there were so many particles in the air, they just couldn't breathe. Yes. Yeah. That's horrific. Yeah. Um, if the boys couldn't get dislodged, if either if they were dead or alive, they would have to be removed. So bricks from the side of the chimney would be taken out. But this was like a last resort to mm-hmm. take out a brick to save a, a kid's life, a baby. They're babies. Oh, my gosh. Here is a quote from a sweep describing the fate of one boy that worked for him. After passing through the chimney and descending to the second angle of the fireplace, the boy finds it completely filled with soot, which he has dislodged from the sides of the upright part. He endeavors to get through and succeeds in doing so after much struggling as far as his shoulders, but finding that the soot is compressed hard all around him by his exertions that he can recede no farther, he then endeavors to move forward, but his attempts in this respect are quite abortive. For the covering of the horizontal part of the flue being stone, the sharp angle of which bears hard on his shoulders, and the back part of his head prevents him from moving in the least, either one way or the other. His face covered with a climbing cap and being pressed hard in the soot beneath him stops his breath. In this dreadful condition, he strives violently to extricate himself, but his strength fails him. He cries and groans. In a few minutes, he is suffocated. An alarm is then given. A brick layer is sent for. An aperture is perforated in the flue and the boy is extricated, but found lifeless. In a short time, an inquest is held and the coroner's jury returns a verdict of accidental death. Accidental death. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. You know, for all of us parents, <laughs> whenever your kids don't want to clean their room. <laughs> Let me tell you about. Sit down with a nice Christmas story about all the little kids that Jimmy had sweeps. to clean. Jimmy <laughs> and be like, you don't have it so bad after all. Right. Actually, life is pretty good right now. Life is really good. <laughs> yeah. Many of these children also suffered from general neglect. You know, like no one's taking care of them. That's what I'm saying. I think these were all orphan kids. Yes. Um, they were stunted. They had deformities of their spine, legs, and arms because they're already in abnormal positions before their bones have hardened. Because you know that it's like up to th- something like 13 years old. I, I used to uh, work at a gym and we would let 13-year-olds work out. And someone had asked, why do you choose 13? And it's because doctors say that 13 years old is when your bones are like hard enough for you to lift weights without injuring your bones. Mm -hmm. And so that was like a thing like, okay, you can't, you can't work out before you're 13. You have to be 13. Right. That was the exercise, but not weightlifting, but not weightlifting. Yes. And so, yeah, these kids had deformities in their bones because they were starting when they're four, you know, Um, And they're sitting in those abnormal positions, you know, scraping things off. They're doing that for a long period of time. So Mm -hmm. they had sores and inflammation on their eyelids that sometimes Mm -hmm. led to loss of sight. You know, they're like rubbing it just gets worse and worse. The cancer that I mentioned earlier, it's called chimney sweep carcinoma, was actually cancer of the scrotum and was found only in chimney sweeps. Uh, This cancer was also called sootwort, and it didn't show up until the sweep was in his late teens or 20s. Um, And it's now been identified as a manifestation of scrotal squamous cell carcinoma. It was reported in 1775 by Sir Percival Pott in Climbing Boys or Chimney Sweepers Only. Um, And it's the first industrial-related cancer to be found. Interesting. I wonder how it presented in girls. Right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It could have been. It could have been the same, but inside, you know, their ovaries or ovarian kind of some sort of. Right. Pott says it is a disease which also makes it its first attack on the inferior part of the scrotum, where it produces a superficial, painful, ragged, ill-looking sore with hard rising edges. I think the reason the boys got it is because they're squished and like oh. having And it to, was exposed because they were naked? They were naked. Yeah. yeah. 
So I don't know if girls would have had a similar, I mean, because it would have been internal anyway. Right. You know, and I don't think. That's what I'm saying is they they may have gotten it and they wouldn't have identified it. They wouldn't have known. Yeah. He goes on to say, in no great length of time, it pervades the skin, dardos, and the membranes of the scrotum and seizes the testicle, which it enlarges, hardens and renders truly and thoroughly distempered, which it makes its way up the spermatic process into the abdomen. So, yeah. Um, He also commented on the life of the boys. Like, he's having to see this in the hospital. He sees what's happening to these boys. Mm -hmm. He says, the fate of these people seems particularly hard. They are treated with great brutality. They are thrust upon narrow and sometimes hot chimneys where they are bruised, burned, and almost suffocated. And when they get to puberty, they become liable to a most noisome, painful, and fatal disease. They also, uh, I guess there are some thoughts that this cancer could have come from coal tar because there's arsenic in some of the coal tar. Oh. So it could have been that it was the arsenic causing this and yeah, that they're naked and all of that. But yeah, I wonder about girls too. That's a good, that's a good question. Hmm. So there's this guy, Jonas Hanway, and he wrote two articles. The first one is The State of Chimney Sweepers' Young Apprentices in 1773. And later he wrote Sentimental History of Chimney Sweeps in London and Westminster in 1785. And he was like, you guys over here in England are like, we're abolishing slavery. At that time, it was like, we're going to abolish slavery. Like, this is bad. We were wrong to do that, whatever. But like, what's with these kids in chimneys here in England? Yeah. Like, what the what? Yeah. <laughs> and or like, probably like kids doing all kinds general. of stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that was a bad one, but they were doing yeah. all kinds of horrible factory work. And yeah, I mean, poor kids. And I think his point is that like, let's do everything. Like, let's not be shitty to everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's just stop all this nonsense. And so he talked about that in Edinburgh, Scotland, sweeps were regulated by the police, climbing was not allowed, and Mm -hmm. chimneys were swept by the master sweep himself by pulling bundles of rags up and down the chimney. So he was like, chimney climbing isn't even a valid apprenticeship because you're only learning how to climb a chimney and you won't be able to make a career out of it because once you're too big... There's no more chimneys to climb. And you're going to die. And you're going to die. From all the effects of it. Yeah. So they have like no employable skill. I love that it was Scotland that was like, yeah, that's barbaric to England. You know what I mean? Like you guys, you guys call us barbarians, but no, no, no. This look how you treat people. Yeah. Scotland, man. Mm -hmm. Tears. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's my people. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm from both places. Right. All the things. (laughs) (laughs) He also advocated that Christianity should be brought into the boys' lives and lobbied for Sunday schools for the boys. Because of his ideas, in part, in 1788, the Chimney Sweepers Act of 1788, which has a long title of An Act for the Better Regulation of Chimney Sweepers and Their Apprentices, was passed. Uh, This limited the number of apprentices to six. And they had to be at least eight years old. So not six. They needed to be two more years older. Uh, good stuff. But of course, laws are great and all. People can talk all they want. But if, if you don't if enforce you don't them, enforce it. Well, also, <laughs> they won't work. Isn't there the benefit to them being small? Right. But I mean, little boy, boys, some boys sure. stay small. for Yeah, for a long time. For a long time. It's true. I mean, my daughter's in sixth grade and she's taller than all the boys. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, originally this act also had a clause that master sweeps had to be licensed. But the lords of the time were like, we don't need that. So they took it out. Basically, they're like, "Okay, you can only have a certain number of apprentices. They all have to be eight years and up. But this law came into being before civil registration. So there was no way that anybody could check if a child was actually eight. They had no idea how the kids were. (laughs) There's like a three year old. They're like, he's eight. That kid is eight over there. Eight. Listen, lords. It's fine. It's fine. 
That same year, David Porter, it says a humane master sweep. I don't know about that. Sent a petition to parliament saying that he was concerned for the health and welfare of these children. But also he believed that the boys were more efficient than any of the new mechanical cleaning machines. <laughs> so I'm like, why are you calling him a humane Sweep, and he's still advocating for he's these like kids to lighten go up in the fire under kids. Yeah, and the letting them just I mean, suffocate. I think maybe what they're trying to say is that he was like nice. He was a nice master sweep. Mm. Like maybe he fed those kids and let them bathe once a week. You know, mm. he was one of those. He was one of those. Yeah. In 1800, a friendly society for the protection and education of chimney sweepers, boys, was established. I don't know uh, what they might have actually accomplished. I was I didn't see what they did. I was like, is this just like a thoughts and prayers group? Like, what, <laughs> what are they? What are they doing? I don't know. They're a friendly society. Great. The Chimney Sweepers Act came around in 1834. They added more regulations. Then um, sweeps were resistant to that. And apparently there was concern that this regulation would cause more issues with chimney safety. Like the general public was like, you're going to regulate this like chimney sweeping. And now we're going to have more fires because you guys have too many regulations. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but these are children. They're like, ch- yes. use a freaking brush. Figure it out there another way. There are other options. Go to Scotland and freaking apprentice under a Scottish guy who knows how to do it with rags. Right. Why are we even talking about this? Right. It's like, I imagine just in Scotland, they had like their own face masks made of the same material their kilts were made of. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I'm the chimney sweep and this is my face mask. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the Chimney Sweepers and Chimney Regulations Act of 1840 made it illegal for anyone under the age of 21 to sweep chimneys. I was like, wow, that's so great. It was widely ignored. (laughs) So the Chimney Sweepers Regulation Act of 1864 added more controls, but again, was not enforced well. Um, While all of these different acts... Or already like 100 years later. Yeah, already 100 years It's insane. While all these acts are being made and people are like, oh, look at all this progression we're doing, but like no one's enforcing anything. They were coming out with new building regulations aiming to increase the size of the flues as well to part of me is like, you guys decreased the size of the flues because it was supposed to be safer. Now you're increasing the size of the flues. And I'm like, is this so that you could have people climb up them longer? Like, yeah, past the past. Is it for safety or what is it for exactly? Is Mm -hmm. it for accessibility? Or is it so, yeah, they could make it all the way till they're like 12 years old. Right. Climbing these chimneys. In February 1875, a 12-year-old boy, George Brewster, was sent up the full-blown high school chimneys by his master, William Wire. He got stuck and smothered. The Mm -hmm. entire wall had to be pulled down to get him out. And even though he was still alive, he did die shortly afterward. There was a coroner's inquest, which returned a verdict of manslaughter. Oh. Yeah. Wire was sentenced to six months imprisonment with hard labor. Six months. Right. I mean, I know back then when they say hard labor, they meant hard labor, but still. Yeah. So I don't know if this was the first indication that these laws, like, because it was a 12-year-old boy, mm-hmm. he's under 21. I'm wondering if this is, like, the first enforcement of this law, like, the first notable one, maybe. Right. But all throughout these changes, the Lord Shaftesbury, which is, like, the most perfect name for a chimney sweep advocate. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Shaftesbury? Really? That's perfect. amazing. He pushed another bill through Parliament, which finally stopped the practice of sending boys up chimneys. The Chimney Sweepers Act of 1875 required chimney sweepers, quote, to be authorized by the police to carry their business in the district, thus providing the legal means to enforce all previous legislation. So it's like the law is catching up with the law. I don't know. The history of sweeping in the United States, it's like very similar to the UK, but with way more overt racism. (laughs) Because... We just, the U.S., the all right. US, yeah. So imagine all the same things, but this time uh, there were less cramped 
flus in homes in the U.S. Like more people lived in bigger homes. Even in the city, it wasn't as Mm -hmm. cramped as it was in London. Usually a homeowner or an adult sweep would do the cleaning, but they did use boys at one point, but it wasn't as popular a trade as it was in the UK to use boys. And during the 18th century, they moved from using young white boys to uh, almost exclusively black slave boys to do the sweeping. And this is the 18th century. Even people in the North did this. Like it was all over America. Wow. African-American chimney sweeps faced discrimination. They were accused of being inefficient and starting fires. There were racist claims that there were fewer fires in London where chimney sweeps were swept by white boys than in New York City. Uh, What's worse is nobody was there to advocate for them. There was no Lord Shaftesbury over in the U.S. like, we got to save these boys. No one was, no one cared about them. There was actually a novel that was written called Tit for Tat that actually was of the opinion that black slave chimney sweeps had less hardships than the London chimney sweeps. I I have no words. I really, I just, yeah. It's insane. So let's move on to some mini good facts. Some like fun facts. Really? I know. Are there? Um, The London boys, they had one holiday a year. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, the 1st of May, May Day, they would have a big parade. It was a big day of fun and celebration. They were like parade through the streets. It was a big thing. Rochester and Kent still has this celebration today. Obviously, there are no actual boys doing chimney sweeping. <laughs> uh, but the Are you sure? <laughs> Did they ever get it together? <laughs> There's just like They're like, kid. and 200 years later... <laughs> There's finally some new legislation. (laughs) (laughs) And now, yeah, they have to be 10. Right. Um, No, so I guess the tradition had kind of died out after there were no more boys doing chimney sweeping. And then they revived it in 1980 as like a, like, hey, we just have the celebration. It was really fun. Let's have the celebration where we like just killed a bunch (laughs) of poor orphan boys by shoving them up hot, (laughs) disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm laughing, but it's like awkward laughing. It's it's just really It doesn't seem like something you'd want to celebrate yeah all right so some more like kind of fun facts uh in great britain it is considered lucky for a bride to see a chimney sweep on her wedding day and actually many modern british sweeps hire themselves out to attend weddings to meet this tradition which is that's kind of cute yeah Yeah. because they have like uniforms like they wear all black with like gold buttons yeah um in germany poland hungary croatia czech republic slovakia slovenia romania and estonia chimney sweeps still wear the traditional all black uniform with a black or white hat um it's considered good luck to rub or grasp one of their buttons if you pass by one in the street and i'm like is that assault? <laughs> like, is that okay? Is that okay? I was like, grasp one of their what? Buttons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not their butts. Not their butts. Don't grab their butts. Don't, grab, don't grab someone's butt. Don't grab anybody's butt ever. PSA. As a lucky symbol, depictions of chimney sweeps are a popular New Year's Day gift in Germany, either as a small ornament attached to flower bouquets or as candy. So, like, they'll make marzipan chimney sweeps. Huh. Which, I don't know what marzipan tastes like. I Is it good? I don't know. It I've never like, tried it. It sounds like it would be good, but, like, maybe it's not. it's like vegemite right Mm -hmm. of course and i won't go into it chimney sweeping is still a profession today but it's highly regulated and there's lots of licensing and safety and all the things Mm -hmm. you can read all about that online it's like everybody's good now there's like osha and right all the things they're not jamming small Small orphans children there's just like that one contractor (laughs) (laughs) he's like listen uh, i can do that for way cheaper 75 percent off they're like how do you do that i have a supply of boys (laughs) do you have any kids yeah you can just have your kids do that so how old is your son there is he four (laughs) totally totally doable 
So let's talk a little bit about some unfortunate folks in more modern times who have been stuck in chimneys. Yes. The first time I ever thought about this was when I saw Gremlins, like we were talking about. Phoebe Cates. (laughs) Kate, the character Kate. Yeah, it tells that super sad story. Uh Uh-huh. Victims that get caught in chimneys often survive for days before they pass away if nobody comes to rescue them, right? That is horrific. Yeah. In many of the cases that I'm going to tell you about, the victim gets lodged into the chimney either at an opportune time, uh, like when no one's home, or if they're in like a remote location Mm -hmm. that no one's going to visit, you know, like an abandoned building or something like that. Most victims that I read about were robbers trying to get into a house when people are away, like Mm -hmm. on vacation, whatever. These counts that I'm going to read out to you are not in any kind of order. They're just kind of random. There's no like worse or best or whatever. It's they're all We're not doing, yeah, a countdown of any sort. (laughs) They're all equally bad. Yeah. 1985, Jackson, Mississippi. Calvin Wilson went missing while he was walking from his job at a local oil field. Um, His family searched for him. But he was nowhere to be found. A year later, police officers found a skull on the banks of the Mississippi and assumed it was Wilson, but never confirmed because 1985, 86, right? Mm -hmm. Fifteen years later, in Natchez, Mississippi, Masons were repairing a building and they came across human remains in a chimney. They did DNA tests on it and it revealed that it was the body of Calvin Wilson. Uh, Police eventually concluded that he tried to rob a gift shop and became stuck in the chimney. And they never knew? They never knew. They wouldn't have the smell. Smelled something. It happens in so many of these cases, Jen. I can't Is it remember. because it's winter time? It you might, think if they I, light yeah. their fire. I don't know if it was winter. I don't know exactly what it was. Well, a lot but... of times, just saying, you know, well, there'll be a fireplace, mm-hmm. and they'll decide it's not good anymore, and just brick it up. You know, brick it up. Brick it up. So you, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to use it. So if somebody were to go into that, you would just be in a world of hurt. That's it. Yeah. 1928 in Ballarat, Australia, William Hiddle and Harriet Virtue's bodies were both found in a chimney. This is heartbreaking. Harriet was nine and had gone with Hiddle William, who was 19. They went for a walk and they never came home. Four months later, Hiddle's father noticed a strong smell coming from the chimney in the family home. Upon investigating with a friend, he discovered both the bodies. What they say is that they died, like, there are some questions about why they were even in the chimney. It was super confusing. Uh, police theorized that Hiddle may have gotten the girl into the small crawl space, attached to the chimney, and then poisoned her and possibly himself. Turns out that the girl's father was super abusive, and he was serving a one-year sentence for crimes against his other daughter, I guess, at the time, or he was he had just come back, or something was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible that William poisoned Virtue to spare her from additional pain. Like, that's the theory that they have. And I was like, Jesus. When was this? 1928. Oh, my gosh. But why were they in the... Why, yeah, why would he put them there? Yeah. I, I have theories that are more like, what if the dad did it? Yeah. And put them there and made up a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like... Because he sounds like the bad guy here. Yeah, he sounds like a bad guy. But why would a nine-year-old and a 19-year-old... They were brother and sister? No, he William Hiddle was just like a family friend. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's It's super weird. That is very strange. Yeah. Huh. Uh, 1977 in Los Angeles, 14-year-old Robert Thompson disappears. He was originally assumed to be a runaway because 1977, everyone Mm. runs away. But in 2005, an 11-year-old discovered his remains in the chimney of an abandoned building in South Los Angeles. The girl had climbed up because she saw a soccer ball on top of the roof. And she went up to get the soccer ball and looked into the chimney and saw a skull. (gasps) Like... 
No. Nightmare. Nightmare. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did a DNA test, confirmed that the body was Thompson's. It had been over two decades since he had gone missing. Family members had written books about the case, blaming police for not taking his disappearance more seriously. I 100% agree with that. Police initially ruled he'd become stuck in that chimney and died there. But the cause of death is still uncertain. Some of the family members and like amateur mystery sleuths Mm -hmm. think that he was murdered and put there. This is why in the 70s, it was like in the 80s, a serial killer's, you know, playground, because every time a young person went missing, the police just assumed it was a runaway. Yeah. They just... It's awful. Yeah. Um, So there have been suggestions that a convicted child rapist, Theodoric Smith, may be the culprit to who who killed Thompson. Um, So far, there were no arrests made in the case, but Thompson's family members continue to search for answers today. That's so sad. Yeah. I don't know what year this one is from, but it's in Lake Placid, Florida. Uh, Mm. William Stalos returned home from a long holiday weekend to find a strange smell in his home. When he investigated the chimney, he found a decomposing body wedged inside. (gasps) The legs of the robber were even dangling from the fireplace, meaning he was barely stuck. When the police investigated the incident, they made a horrifying discovery. Neighbors reported that they had heard shouts and screams for help, but that didn't know where the sound was coming from. Eventually, the screaming stopped. Construction workers in a nearby thing said they heard tapping, but didn't investigate it. And then it was quiet. Turns out that William's chimney had a closed bottom and the guy who went in it couldn't get out. Uh, And he died. Yeah. That is Lake Placid, man. I would be like, well, we're going to bulldoze this house. Yeah. This done. Done deal. Uh, That's sad because he wasn't stuck necessarily he was only stuck because the bottom was sealed off. it was sealed off yeah listen Ugh. don't rob people's houses don't go through a chimney. but if you're yeah. if you just yeah. have to don't go through the chimney yeah yeah 1989 in new york city the owners of a middle eastern or israeli restaurant in brooklyn came into the restaurant one tuesday morning and they noticed a pair of feet dangling out of the chimney vent uh, they called the police and found that the robber had climbed into the chimney, gotten stuck with his arms above his head, and died there. His progress through the chimney had been impeded by a fire extinguisher line. So some things will have this, like, extra line in there that if this fire starts, you know, especially it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant, yeah. Th- there's mm-hmm. They've got to have those safety things. Um, so, yeah, that line caused him to get stuck, and then he asphyxiated. Oh, no. Yeah. 1984, Louisiana. Joseph Schneckschneider vanished without a trace, and his case eventually went cold without any leads. In 2011, a bank was being renovated. A construction worker was helping update the second floor. He came across a chimney that needed to be torn apart. He found some fabric inside, and he tugged on it, and then clothes and human bones fell out on him. They did a DNA test and confirmed that the bones belonged to Joseph, who, like I said, went missing in 1984. Investigators theorized that he had gone into the chimney feet first and got stuck as the chimney was on the second floor. He would have been about 20 feet above the street level and completely surrounded by thick bricks. No one would have heard him cry for help. And probably because he was so far up, they never smelled him. Like the smell never came down to the ground floor. But yeah, it's still kind of a mystery as to why he was there. Uh, His brother did say that he had recently started hanging out with some like bad folks. So they Mm -hmm. think maybe he was trying to rob the bank. And I'm like, I could I could see that. Yeah, because it's a bank. 2008 Colorado Springs. 
18-year-old Joshua Vernon Maddox went missing on May 8th of 2008. The case went cold and no one could figure out if he ran away or if something else had happened to him. Seven years later, contractors tearing down an abandoned building a mile from Maddox's home discovered his body. Just outside of Woodland Park, the cabin that he was in had been abandoned for a decade. Mm -hmm. So he had gone to some cabin. It was super common for chipmunks and mice to be found, you know, like wander in there and die. So if there were any kind of smells going on in that cabin, someone, you know, if they smelled them, they might just think it was like a chipmunk. Dental records help identify the badly decomposing corpse while investigations indicated Maddox became stuck while attempting to shimmy down into the chimney. No one knows why he was there in the first place. Maybe he's just trying to get into the cabin. But that is so, why would you do that by yourself? Yeah. Without telling anyone. Yeah. Like, I find some of these very suspect. Right. To me, it just screams murder. Yeah. And that was somebody's way of disposing of the body. Right. I just can't imagine why somebody by themselves, that no one would know that they didn't have a friend that dared them or knew about it. Yes. And they didn't bring any ropes or something. You know, like, just in case, how are you going to get out of the chimney? What if you can't get out of the bottom of the chimney? You should have, like, a fail. I mean, I'm not saying don't go in chimneys, you guys. (laughs) Just don't. But at the same time, I wonder about a lot of these. I have theories. Yeah. 2015 in Huron, California, a homeowner came home after a long day of work, decided to light a fire. The fire had only been lit a few minutes before he heard shouting coming from the (gasps) chimney. A burglar had climbed, oh, I said at that time, had climbed into the chimney that Friday, but had gotten stuck partway down. Um, Obviously, this guy was like, holy shit. He calls the police. Uh Um, He rushed to put out the fire. The room fills up with smoke. Chimney fills up with smoke. He calls the police. The fire department rushed out to the scene. They dismantle the fireplace. The robber, burglar, was reported responsive when they got there. But when they got him out, he had already asphyxiated, I guess, from the smoke, maybe. And he ended up dying. Oh, no. It's like so close. Wow. Yeah. This one seems super fishy to me. I don't know where it happened. I didn't, I don't think I have a location for it, but it happened in 2010. There's this woman, 49-year-old doctor, Jacqueline Kotarek. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend, I they didn't have her his name in the article. They get into this big fight, okay? Mm-hmm. And then like a day later or something after this fight, she disappears. And mm-hmm. in the article, it says a boyfriend searches for her in his home. One of the counts said something like, They got into this fight and then they break up or maybe it's like a day or something later. He thinks she's breaking into his house to get her stuff. And so in order to avoid conflict, he leaves out the back door. Okay, then he goes on an extended trip to Europe. And during that time, he had um, hired a house sitter to feed his fish. Mm -hmm. And the house sitter was like, you know, coming over to feed the fish. And they were like, geez, it smells bad in here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Goes over to the chimney. Is like, wow, it's coming from the chimney. Discovers Jacqueline's body in the chimney. Police come, you know, they spend five hours dismantling the chimney. They retrieve the body. And then they say that she apparently was trying to break into her boyfriend's house, that there was a ladder that was there and that she had climbed to the chimney and become stuck and passed away after several days of being in the chimney and no one knew about it because she was trying to get her belongings. Nope. I'm like, absolutely not. Why is he not charged with murder? Yes. Lies. Yeah. He murdered her, made it seem like she was trying to break into the chimney and went on a trip to Europe. A trip to Europe, Jen. But couldn't they, because it sounds like she was still in relatively, I mean, it wasn't that long after she'd right. been in there. Because I can see finding bones and not knowing what happened. But right. if she, if they got her out, wouldn't they be able to f- see how she died? Right. 
So I don't know. I don't. They didn't say anything about like how if she, she were died strangled, they would or they asphyxiated would, or what? Yeah, they would know. I mean, they would find there it. would be markings. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. So how could he? Yeah. But it just seems really suspect to me that he was in the house, mm-hmm. heard her quote unquote breaking into the house, didn't want to have a fight, leaves his own house, mm-hmm. doesn't call the police when she's breaking into his house, and then goes on a trip to Europe. Totally. Like, how did that happen? Also, all of her stuff was still there. So if she were breaking in to get her stuff, why wasn't her stuff gone? So many questions. So many questions. I'm suspicious of that one. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a lot of stories. I mean, you can go read them there, but they're very similar to this. A lot of it is like robbery or kids getting stuck in abandoned buildings, which is just really sad. And I think a lot of those are just murder. So that's my kind of conclusion. I would think so, because I don't think a kid would go by themselves Mm-mm. to an abandoned building. And climb down and that's a chimney. that's so creepy. And then climb down a chimney, which is even Jeez. more creepy. Yeah. No. Without anyone knowing. No. It would be a group of friends. Like, I do you and I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there would be like panic of like, oh, my God. Like, Timmy's yes. in the thing. Go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah, everything. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Super suspect. So I did want to talk about other creatures that get stuck in chimneys. Oh. Yeah. This is the last thing that got me thinking about chimneys. Um, I was talking with my mom and my Aunt Maureen, the aunt that I went to that. That you almost broke her finger. Yeah, there's an outtake about this. But I was telling them about some projects that we do on Guam with fruit bats. We're just talking about fruit bats. And they uh were, my aunt was talking about how her neighbor recently had bats in his attic and Uh that she's been having to leave her back porch umbrella open because bats will come and roost, you know, like at at the end of the day, they'll Uh come and roost in the flaps inside her umbrella and she's open it and like freaks out because there's like a bat there. Yeah. So I thought I'd talk about bats. That get caught in chimneys. Poor bats. They are. They just get such a, a bad they rap. They get a bad rap. And we talked about bats in like, a previous episode. Hair. Like, <laughs> what is going on with your hair? You're fine. That the bats know. You're okay. Yeah, it's okay. Just help them nicely. Help them. Yeah. Back outside. There are ways to do it. Yes. We're going to talk about it. Thank you. Bats are a common invader of homes and businesses. In the wild, they roost in naturally made cavities like hollow trees or caves. But in urban environments, they like attics and chimneys because they make the perfect daytime roost. It's dark. It's dry. Mm-hmm. Typically quiet. Mm-hmm. And then they go out night to, out at night to feed. Um, they are beneficial creatures. Oh, we've talked They're about the it. They're the yeah. best. They eat mosquitoes, eat other small insects, but Mm -hmm. uh, once inside a structure, their rapid production of feces, their guano, uh, causes a number of issues, including damaging attic insulation. There's health issues. It smells bad, all of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. people can be put at risk for fungal infections from the guano. I get it. They are on some level in your house considered a pest because it does cause damage and you could have health concerns, 100%. Mm-hmm. But like I said, there are ways to help them. There are ways to get them in a place where they would rather be and you would rather them be. It's all good. In North Carolina, common species of bats found in structures include the Brazilian or Mexican free-tailed bat, the little brown bat, and the big brown bat. So I thought I would talk about these. I was reading something that happened to be specific to North Carolina, and I was like, oh, that's a pretty good... I like those three species. Like, that works for me. Yes. There's some range in there. So let's start out with the Brazilian free-tailed bat. It is an insectivore in the family Molossidae. I think I'm saying that right. Members of this family have tails that extend well beyond the edge of their tail membrane, giving them, quote, free tails, hence the name. 
because they kind of stick out Mm -hmm. like little. Yeah, they're kind of cute. They have short, dense fur and give off a musky odor, as most bats do. They are primarily cave bats. They're medium sized with broad ears and large feet. And I love this fact about their ears. Their ears extend to the tip of their snout if they laid forward. And it actually looks like they kind of cover over. So it's like a little, I don't know how to describe it. It's like She's doing a the thing cover. with her hands right now. Yes. Yeah, where they like overlap. It's, yes. It seems like it would be really cute. It is cute. Anyway, their feet have white bristles on each side of the outer and inner toes. They weigh between 0.02 and 0.03 ounces. That's 11 to 14 grams. They're very small. They eat moths, flying ants, beetles, bugs, and other insects. And they often prey on swarming insects. And they might fly in like pretty far distances to get to really good feeding areas with a lot of insects. They breed in March or early April. The babies come about two or three months later. They usually only have litters of one. There have Mm -hmm. been, I guess, some anecdotal evidence of like twins, but it's not very common in this species. The young will nurse for 45 days, about 45 days, and they will fly at around six to seven weeks. They roost in dark, dry areas, caves, old buildings, hollow trees, just like I said. And a dozen or more animals can hang up together and have enough space below. They need enough space below to drop when they take wing, when they fly away. Yes. They also like to forge as a group several minutes before dark. So they'll fly around all together. And they're found in Puerto Rico, in addition to North Carolina. All right. The next species that I thought was pretty cool, the little brown bat varies in color from brown. Really? And (laughs) is it little? It's little. Mm-hmm. Uh, reddish to golden, although some albino specimens have mm-hmm. been observed. Nice. Little brown bats weigh less than half an ounce and have a wingspan of 8 to 11 inches. That's 20 to 28 centimeters. Females are typically larger than males. They're found in abundance throughout the northern United States into Canada, and they are not in as many southern states, and there are none in the Great Plains. So which are the species that have the white nose So syndrome? this one and I think then, it's this one, right? I yeah. mean, a lot of species have white yeah. nose. Um, so little brown bat and the big brown bat, which would be the next one, okay. have the white nose uh, fungus. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Little brown bats also live in high elevation forests in Mexico. So that's cool. They live in colonies numbering in the hundreds of thousands of individuals. They'll roost in buildings, caves, trees, rocks, and wood piles. Fun. Mating is random and promiscuous. I love the way this article wrote it. Mating is random and promiscuous. Both males and females mate with more than one partner. Um, As a prenup to mating, large swarms occur during late summer and fall. So they're just having a full-on orgy. Just full-on orgies, sexing it up. I want you to make your bat sounds. So (laughs) (laughs) there's like one episode where you talk about, like you make the bat fruit bat sound and it is so funny to me. Sometimes I re-listen to that episode just because, (laughs) just to find that part, because it's a good laugh. It's a good laugh. I should go find it. I think it might be in the Mauro Prosperi one because that's where we talk about bats first. Maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are noisy. Yeah. When they get together. They're they're into and it. Do their things. Yeah. Um, the mating season usually starts in August and pups are born approximately two months later. At about one month of age, they can fly and catch insects on their own. And each mother has one pup a year and can identify her offspring based on scent and calls, which I think that might be just a general dealio. Individuals usually live up to six or seven years, but Fun fact, a 31-year-old little brown bat was found in the wild. And that lifespan, obviously, it's like super unusual. But like that bat, so many back problems. So, (laughs) so many complaints. Just over it. Just really over it and really wants to tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's the loudest bat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Hey, give me my teeth. Right? (laughs) Yeah. 
the key. Oh, I gotta fly again. <laughs> All we do is fly, fly, fly. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, sadly, the population of little brown bats is declining. There are mm. they are one of many bat species suffering from white nose syndrome, like we just talked about. It's a fungal disease that um, affects hibernating bats and causes death. I read someplace that it reduces the amount of fat stores in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they end up, yeah, just dying. They can't eat enough to sustain themselves because they have to eat. I mean, I'm pretty sure almost all kind of ways they got to eat a lot of food, especially Uh these smaller ones. They have to eat like twice their body weight or at least their body weight or something like that. I know. I think the females, nursing females have to eat twice their body weight, Mm -hmm. something like that, because obviously you got to give more. They're nursing. Yeah, they're nursing. Little brown bats tend to go wherever people go. And because of that, uh, they love our buildings. Like they're like, this is great. You guys did a really great job with this attic. <laughs> I'm just we gonna bring some it. of my friends. Yeah, and we're just gonna stay there. Cool, cool. John, bring the, bring the love seat. We want to put it over here. Yeah, yeah they're just decor- they're moving things around. Thing. Yeah, little flower portraits. Yeah, <laughs> all over the place. The issue is that bats can transmit parasites and occasionally rabies. So a lot of times people will try to you know use pesticides against them. Oh. That's an issue. Uh, also, deforestation has led to a lot of their decline and mining is also detrimental to little oh, brown yeah, bats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. The other big thing that I read about was, I hate to talk about it, but it's true. Stray, feral, or outdoor cats. Predators, you guys. They are the top predators of these bats in populated areas. Oh, there was also another fun fact. Some bats will migrate. Some bats will hibernate. These bats hibernate in winter. And they, during that time, they can withstand a temperature of, a change in temperature of nearly 120 degrees Fahrenheit without having any detrimental effects. Wow. Yeah. I was like, okay. Well, they just bundle up together. Do they like batsicle? Like, do they become <laughs> batsicle? Oh, yeah. We read about that. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. I can't remember I which remember species that. that was, though. Right? Yeah. I don't remember what species that was. But, and that's the other thing. It's just that whole, like, we're moving into their area, mm-hmm. their habitat, or we're cutting their habitat. Yeah. And then we get so pissed off when they get into our house. And then we then we put a pesticide up. And they're like, dude, you you built this for us, obviously. Obviously. Like you, t- you already cut down our forest, but then you gave us this, right? This is great. Right? This is what- it okay. works out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So our last little species, actually big species to talk about, is a big brown bat, which is actually not that big in comparison to like the fruit bats we have here. Mm-hmm. But like most bats, big brown bats are social. They are between one half and three fourths of an ounce. Huge. So big. So big. Giants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, their fur is long. It tends to be oily. Mm-hmm. and ranges from light to dark brown, contrasting with the back of their muzzle, ears, and wing membranes. Is that because of their musky smell? It, right? I don't know, because I be. know that fruit bats have that smell. Yeah. They basically but, smell like weed. Doesn't the, yeah. Like they're stashing some weed in there, but it's like an oil. They Yeah, but doesn't the musk usually come from like pads in their fingers? No, it's on the, it's like on the of back of their neck or oh. something. It comes out back there. Okay, maybe that's I just remember then. I accidentally kind of like kind of oh, snuggled no. with his fur bat once. <laughs> I was like, you're so sweet. Me, me, me. And then I was like, blah. Like it was all over my face because he was real happy too. Oh, no. Their ears are short and blunt. Their snout and mouth are broad and their tail membrane is not furried. The brown bat is found in virtually every American habitat, ranging from timberline meadows to lowland deserts, though it is most abundant in deciduous forest areas. 
And it is also often abundant in suburban areas of mixed agricultural use. Mm -hmm. This species ranges from extreme northern Canada throughout the United States and south to extreme southern tip of Mexico. Traditionally, they have formed maternity colonies, which is basically like all ladies with pups. pups. Yeah. Yeah. And they will make these colonies in small cavities of pine, oak, beech, bald cypress, and other trees. Common maternity roosts today can be found in buildings, barns, bridges, and even bat houses, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Small beetles are their most frequent prey, but they will eat all sorts of quantities of any night flying insect. Right. Like they're kind of into anything, but they really like the small beetles. They are generalists in their foraging behavior and habitat selection, seemingly showing little preference for feeding over water versus land. So they're basically like, we live everywhere. We don't care. We eat anything. They're opportunistic. Opportunistic, 100%. Right. And they're doing pretty well. There have been a lot of studies for these bats that show that they eat a lot of agricultural and forest pests, including ground beetles, scarab beetles, cucumber beetles, snout beetles, and stink bugs, uh, also moths and leafhoppers. And a colony of 150 brown bats can consume enough adult cucumber beetles in one summer to prevent egg laying that would produce 33 million of their larvae. Wow. And that's a major pest of corn. So they're like... You want these in your in your barn. Keep them there if you, you grow, do like vegetables. Yeah. Like all insect eating bats, big brown bats contribute mightily to a healthy environment and are vital players in the checks and balances of insect pests. Yes, yes, yes. They can live up to 20 or more years, but the average lifespan is thought to be considerably less. I'm like, which one is it? <laughs> 20 or more years or considerably less. I don't know. I guess it depends on if people are jamming pesticides in their attic. That's true. To keep them out. Mating mainly occurs in fall and winter, but females do not become pregnant until spring, just after hibernation ends. And this made me think of delayed gestation that we talked about in polar bears, because it was like they oh. didn't have the perfect conditions. Mm -hmm. And so they delay somehow their bodies delayed the implantation of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Embryo. Oh Embryo. Thank you. Jeez. Into the, <laughs> the zygote. The, the zygote. The larva. <laughs> the thing. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. The embryo didn't implant until it was like favorable conditions. I'm pretty sure that was polar bears. I mean, a lot of mammal species will do that. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So it just made me think, because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. that large colony outside of San yes. Antonio. Yes. Those are Mexican free-tailed bats. Oh, okay. That's I think. the first one I talked about. Yeah. yeah, but they migrate between, I think it's by San Antonio and right, right. back to Mexico. Right. But huge. Big. Big. Uh, the young for these big brown bats are born in May through June, and twins are common in the eastern United States. And in the West, it's more common just to have one pup. Interesting. I don't know why. Yeah. I so there's why. variation across. Yeah. I mean, you'd think if a species is over that large of an area, right. there's going to be some variation. Or maybe it's just like all the twins just happen to be born. Yeah. And that's well, I wonder like if they just have more food available so oh, they maybe. can support too. Yeah, it's possible. The younger filled milk roughly for four to five and a half weeks. They learn to fly between three and five weeks and they stay with their mother and forage for another two to two and a half weeks. Maternal, like I said, maternal colonies commonly contain 20 to 300 bats. And that's the pregnant females with the nursing pups. And then females also that have well-developed young will be in those groups. I guess during that time, the males will typically roost by themselves. They're like, we're just alone. We're good. Yeah. 
They're just playing video games, <laughs> drinking beers. Yeah, they're they're on the Xbox Live together. <laughs> like they're talking on headsets. They right? just have little bat headsets. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, bro. All right. Good times. I have a 13-year-old son. <laughs> I know all the things. Big brown bats can migrate hundreds of miles, but southern populations are likely to be year-round residents. They'll hibernate during the coldest parts of winter, but their relatively large size, which makes me laugh because they're so small, allows them to remain active at lower temperatures than most northern American bat species. So mm-hmm. it depends on where they live as to what they're going to do. I'm kind of surprised that like i guess they're similar enough that they're still going to be the same like are there subspecies in here like i didn't really read too much about any kind of subspecies for the big brown bat it's like are they just big brown bat like it just seems too simplistic to me yeah i feel like someone's gonna go in here and be like this is this and this is like yeah a taxonomy that's what i'm saying with that kind of variation i feel like a taxonomist is like get it together you guys what's happening what's going on Mm -hmm. big brown bats clearly rank among america's most beneficial animals i did like this particular article Mm -hmm. as they are forced out of traditional forest habitats due to encroaching human populations logging and habitat modification they will move into increasingly close human contact taking up residence in buildings and other man-made structures i feel like that's you know i've driven it into everybody head about it but yeah they're super beneficial let's stop let's stop making it difficult for them please yeah and it did mention that they can suffer from white nose syndrome as well natural predators include snakes owls raccoons and feral cats Mm, feral cats Mm -hmm. and human-induced threats pesticide habitat degradation all those things all the things so yeah there are ways to remove bats from your home i get it you have a property that you've invested your life savings in or whatever Mm -hmm. and you want to take care of it absolutely don't just throw a bunch of pesticide up there call a professional call a professional just like if you have bees yes call a professional yes Mm -hmm. Um, and not like a professional that's gonna throw a bunch of pesticide up there no not that guy like or lady like a wildlife professional yeah yeah so this article that i read comes from the washington post it starts out it's kind of like oh your neighbor has some bats what should they do first your neighbor should make sure they're really bats i really like this part um (laughs) although they do occasionally roost in old chimneys so this is specifically about chimneys it's rare for them to locate in modern ones says john simpkins one of the owners of mid-atlantic wildlife control in edgewood and then they put like a phone number and a website for them good good times 99 percent of people who say they have bats in chimneys actually have swifts how do you tell if it's a bat or a bird Mm -hmm. so they say you go outside at dusk and you watch for the flight direction Bats are going to be heading out to mm-hmm. go feed, mm-hmm. and the chimney swifts will be heading in to roost. So get yourself a clicker. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this is science right here. Yeah. You could have you could have two people in your home, and you go outside. Each of you have a clicker. Uh-huh. One of you watches what goes one way. One of you watches what goes the other way. Then you can determine. <clears throat> yeah. And I imagine they're about the same size. Yeah. Because swifts are pretty small. It's difficult to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially kind of dusky time, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you won't really be able to tell, like, how is the flapping? Like, what does the flapping look like? Is it fast or whatever? Yeah. Right. We're lucky with fruit bats, honestly, because you can really tell it's a they're fruit bat. They're just big. And there are no birds here, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. It's so sad. If the creatures are chimney swifts, he says, just wait a few weeks and they'll leave on their own. Uh-huh. Chimney swifts migrate to South America for the winter. They won't come back until April. In the meantime, when they leave... Mm-hmm. To go migrate, your neighbor can have their chimney capped, a way to keep them from coming in. Or they can host the birds again the next year. I mean, you could always just... Well, wouldn't you use your fireplace? Well, it's not like sealed. It's like a cap that would... The Swifts can't get in. 
basically. Oh, but, but you can still use your fireplace. So, okay. Like I see, like they put a thing on it with the yeah. screen with so like the a screen smoke can go yes. out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you can still use your chimney, but then nothing can get in. Okay. Kind of like how I asked the guys who came to fix the pipe outside my house. Oh, with the right? frogs. With the frogs. And mm-hmm. I have like a whole freaking colony toads. of toads. Those like yeah. freaking Japanese mm-hmm. toads that are so disgusting. And everybody, yeah, that's my witch theory. <laughs> That they're just like living out there in my yard. Yeah. (laughs) Megan's a witch because just all the The quantity, the quantity congregate. It's it's intense. And all the cats. There's so many cats. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they don't know about those. Chimney swifts are never around during fireplace season. So having the chimney cleaned in the fall eliminates the risk that nests will block the airflow. So they might lay a net. You will want to clean out everything before you start your fire. And if swifts are gone, right? Mm -hmm. So for these swifts, the, the babies will make a lot of noise. And they'll like when they beg the parents for food, they're sitting in the nest, whatever. And the highest level of sound will be during the last two weeks before they fly from the nest and everybody leaves. So if you can endure that in this article, they're like, (laughs) if you can handle that, if you can put up with it, you will have the most amazing insect control in your house and a fascinating close up look to a bird species. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. You could put like a little GoPro or something in your chimney. This would be fun to do with your kids. Yeah. Little, yeah. Like I said, citizen science. And then they'll, just, project with they'll just leave and then you put a cap <laughs> your on Your kids can name good. them. 100%. Yeah. My God, so cute. So if your neighbor is dealing with bats, the article says, it might also be wise to wait a bit before trying to get them out because babies might still be inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only recommended way to exclude bats is to seal all entrances except one and then install a one-way door so that once the bat goes out, it can't get back in. Okay. That seems yeah. like that might be a little tricky. A little bit tricky. To avoid trapping babies that are too young to fly out, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources recommends waiting at least until September to install the one-way door. So bats hibernate beginning in November. So exclusion shouldn't be done after that for fear. Like you don't want to trap them inside. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, it is critical not to trap the bats inside. If a trapped bat, an adult, is inside, trapped inside, I'm saying it so many times, there is a greater chance that they will wind up in your living space when they're trying to get out because... And in your hair, directly. In your hair. Trying to bite you and give you rabies. If you are scared of a bat in your hair, don't trap them in your chimney. If an adult or infant bat dies inside the house, they're like, it will also make your house smell. And I'm like, yeah, but also that's a dead bat. That's so sad. That's very sad. Well, it's so bad timing too, because that's mm-hmm. when you want to use your chimney, like November. Right. Yeah. So I, it seems like you should take care of it well ahead of that by by just putting whatever you need to put to when you keep them from first in. move in the house. Just do that. Just check it. Yeah. Check your chimney. Do you have all the possible, you know, all the things that you might need to keep things out of, you know, an area that you're going to use regularly that you don't want them to be in? Just double check. So they do say that if you are going to get a pest control service to come out to your house, they recommend that you double check your pest controls, like whatever permits they have. And specifically, they should have a bat permit. Like they shouldn't be just like, I'm a pest control service. You know, like you, you can't hire like a roach. And they just hold control. a shotgun and they're going to start shooting up your yeah, chimney. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you need to you somebody that. who's permitted specifically for bats. So just something to think about. Mm-hmm. You should check it out. They have to provide you with that information. So as part of any bat exclusion project, the department recommends installing a bat house outside. Aww. This will help protect the bat population, which has declined by about 80 percent 
since white nose syndrome emerged in 2007. Having nearby roosting will also help discourage the bats from trying to find other ways into the house. And now we get to the part where I say everybody should build a bat house. Yes. So I found a website. Who made this? I cannot remember. National Wildlife Foundation, I think. Okay. Is where I got it from. And it's just like a little article on how to build a bat house. There's a link for it in the show notes. It's great. The The person who wrote it, I forget her name. I'm so sorry. It, she starts out with like, I love bats because mosquitoes love me and I don't like mosquitoes. You know, like mm-hmm. don't use pesticides. It's a really good like why you should love bats, why they're important. Invite them. All the things. To your house. Yes. Yes. Um, and I also love that she says, before I share my bat house building experience, let me say that I am no carpenter. This mm-hmm. was my first time using a circular saw. Hopefully this can help even the least handy person build a bat house. So it's totally possible. Um, She goes in to say, why should you build a bat house? You might be surprised. Bats don't always live in caves. It's true. They live in trees here in Guam. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some bats spend winter months in caves, but most bats spend summers in trees, under bridges, or in old buildings where they give birth and rear their young. So she's saying the goal is to make a bat house that mimics the space between bark and a tree trunk. So you have to think, you want it to be like a little bit small so Mm -hmm. they can just like tuck up in there. Right. Be all cozy. Yeah. A little tree bark comforter. (laughs) Tree bark duvet. So yeah, you're going to make a small, narrow space. She says, you might wonder why you need to build a bat house. Why can't bats just find a nice tree? Yeah, why? Docs, ask them. Why? Will you tell me why? Maybe because you cleared the forest. That's that's probably why. I mean, she didn't say it that way. She was really nice. She said, the challenge for most bat species is that forests are cleared. Like she says it in such a nice way. Humans. Um, ideally, they would live in a natural home, but we build bat houses to help those who can't find space in a forest because maybe the forest isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's also a great way to provide cover for wildlife, as well as a place for wildlife to raise their young, which if we had a bat box, if we lived in a place where bats lived in bat boxes and there was a bat that had a little baby bat, that would make my decade. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, I would be right? so happy. Just thinking about it makes me a little bit clamped. Anyway, uh, then she goes on to talk about how she built the bat house. She found a bat construction plan, which she shares on this website. It goes through all of the details, like where you need to put the bat box. It needs to have a lot of sun. It needs at least 15 feet from where the bottom of the bat box is to the ground because, one, to protect from predators, but also when they fly out, they need to be able to drop and Mm -hmm. then fly. Ideally, you want to have a water source nearby because you don't want the mother bat to have to leave the baby there for too long to go find water and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, interestingly, bats are less attracted to bat houses mounted on trees. There's a few reasons for this, which it's a little bit counterintuitive because like if they're going to nest in between the bark and the thing, you're like, why wouldn't they like it on a tree? turns out that it's too easy for predators to get them. Say, yeah. yeah. The branches also cats. cause cats. Yes. <laughs> uh, the branches also cause obstructions to exiting bats, and it's too shady from branches above the trees. So bat houses mounted on buildings also retain heat better. They're less accessible to predators. You can also put them on a pole. She was like, oh, just put a pole in your yard, put the bat pole, you right. know, bat box up on the pole. If that's not, I've seen them like that. Yeah. yeah. So and then she goes on to say that she lives in a townhouse that's three stories high. So she's all good and it's near a stream and it's like. She mm-hmm. feels good about it. Anyway. Yeah. And then she goes into the, like the how-to, all of the supplies you need, the cutting, the measuring, all that stuff, all the carpentry things. Cool. Yeah. So you guys go check that out. And now... You still have time. Yes. You still have time. Do it right now. Do it. We'll make a bunch of bat boxes here. 
We'll ship them out. We'll ship them out to you guys. It's We're not, I'll not find, really. I'll find really that Girl Scout. That. I'll be like, hey. <laughs> she's like already like heartbroken. Yeah. Never she's, mind. She's like, I'm never, I don't want to ever think about that. All right. Anyway, I am now to the organization to support Jen. Excellent. So we talked about this already. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't say enough about Merlin Tuttle's bat conservation. Yeah. I w- well, I figured it was going to be about bats and not about chimney sweeps not about chimney because sweeps. They are, they're okay now. Yeah, they're okay. Just <laughs> just an organization that donates to four-year-old boys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to shower them. Yeah. Showers for boys. <laughs> I mean, I might start that nonprofit, honestly. <laughs> Uh, no, so my organization to support is Merlin Tuttle's Bat Conservation MTBC. You can find them at www.merlintuttle, all one word, .org. It goes on to say, no group of mammals has been more misunderstood, needlessly feared, or intensely persecuted than bats. Relying on a powerful combination of science, field knowledge, and photography, MTBC is helping save millions of bats, protecting public health, economies, and worldwide ecosystems by teaching people to live harmoniously with bats through Merlin's one-of-a-kind experience. Uh, Their mission, inspiring bat conservation worldwide. So you guys should go check it out. I think it's like, it's even like a Halloween thing because bats, you Mm -hmm. know, vampires. Yeah. And then vampire bats. Yeah. But there's like, you don't even feel it. It's fine. It's like black cats. I mean, we did the one thing and witches. Like, these are all silly superstitions. Well, but I mean, there really are blood Yes, blood sucking. Yes, bats. Sure, but but it's okay. It's fine. Listen, you're nourishing them. It's, it's and okay. they're not everywhere. Yeah, they're only in some places. Transylvania, <laughs> only there, <laughs> only, only there, only there. Yeah, but no, I thought uh, I thought this was a good Halloween episode because it combines my love of um, you know people. I don't know, in like really creepy situations, and it just immediately made me think of Christmas, like the combination of Christmas and Halloween, bats. And just it's thinking really sad, of using but... children to force them up, that is a horror, so morbid. That is a horror so... movie. And it's and it's history. It's true. It's, it really happened. It's real, you guys. Yeah, that's scary. Not cool. Yeah. And I so. bet you there's lots of ghosts from that. You know, that's what I should have looked up ghost stories for um like haunted chimneys. Yes. Ugh, I bet there are a lot. Anyway. Thank um, you for you that enjoyed. story. Yes, that yes, was yes. That was not at all what I thought you were going to be talking about. I love it. That's great. It's That's so great. interesting. Yeah. I love I love a good history lesson. Right. And then we talk about bats. And I always love talking about bats. Bats are great. Yes. We'll tie it together. All tied um, together. So, Jen, we're here at the uh, part of our episode where we're going to talk about our emergency preparedness kit. Are you uh, prepared? I think I am, Megan. Excellent. So I was kind of taking the, your story back to its original roots, which was gremlins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and in that, the reason that the dad was going down the chimney and got stuck was that he was trying to, like, surprise the kids. Like yeah. a Santa Claus type thing. Yes. Right. And then they didn't know we got stuck and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I think, you know, maybe mm-hmm. what we should start doing is I'm not saying don't celebrate Christmas sure. and, and Santa. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But there are some other options out there. Definitely. I'm thinking of maybe taking it to back to Festivus. For the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> Festivus would be it would be perfect because I think you have to have a poll. Yes, the Festivus you have, poll. You have to have a yeah, Festivus yeah. poll. And I actually, while you were telling your story, I looked up what you need for Festivus. So, well, first of all, it's described as a secular and non-commercial holiday characterized by the raising of an aluminum pole, the serving of a dinner, the airing of grievances, and the demonstration of feats of strength. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could 
like, let's say someone gets stuck in a chimney, you could demonstrate your feat of strength by using that pole to push them out. That's all I'm saying. Done and done. CNN actually did how to celebrate Festivus in five easy steps. (laughs) So you get a Festivus pole. Perfect. You just need an aluminum pole. It has to be aluminum because you want to have a very high strength to weight ratio. According right. to Frank Costanza. There you go. <laughs> um, decorations are distracting, so leave the pole as plain and unordained. As That's possible. Fun. Exactly. That's great. Make sure you buy your own pole from the places such as festivuspoles.com, <laughs> <laughs> or you can make your own. You also, after that, need to prepare your din- Festivus dinner. Mm-hmm. Meatloaf is the key to stay true to the Seinfeld episode. It should rest on top of a bed of lettuce. And that's the appropriate fashion. Then you move on to air your grievances. So at the beginning of the Festivus dinner, you force all of your guests to listen to all the times <laughs> they've disappointed you that year. And it's a, it's a very healthy ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you join the feats of strength. As the host, you'll want to test your feats of strength and wrestle one of your guests. After all, the two of you did just enjoy your very protein-filled meatloaf dinner. <laughs> It's not, Festivus is not considered over until the host is pinned to the floor. A guest can only decline the challenge if he or she has something more important to do, such as working a double shift. (laughs) And lastly, call all slightly non-routine events Festivus Miracles. Perfect. That's number five. So you carried out all your um, groceries into the house in one trip. It's a Festivus Miracle. That's a Festivus Miracle. You took the subway for the first time and it didn't smell. Festivus Miracle. You ran into your friend you've been meaning to call at one of the local coffee shops. It's a miracle for Festivus. So they're all those are all good examples. Create your own. That's what we're going with. That's amazing. I I really love it. Yeah. That's great. You just I, honestly, yeah, just some Festivus for the rest of us. That's all we need. Done. Done and done. Done and done. <laughs> Oh, also, that's kind of funny because, you know, that festival for the Chimney Sweep Boys? Yes. It's it's like they do it on May Day. So there's like a maypole. It's It all connects somehow. It's all coming that's, together. Saber. Saber's over here sneezing. That's not, I'm not he farting, knows it's, guys. He it's, knows it's he time. Knows it's he always knows when we're done. I, as soon as I say organization to support, he's like, oh, what? It's, he starts, you can hear him start shaking his head. You've probably heard it. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for that story. You are very welcome. I, I hope, hope you guys everybody enjoy. has a safe and yes. fun Halloween this year. I hope you get lots of candies. Check I heard your... um, inflation candies like 34% up from last year. So oh, wow. limit yourselves. Yeah. People. Uh, and also a good thing. Check your Snickers for the uh, one ring that rules them all. <laughs> just just in case. You really? never know. You never know what's inside the Snickers. Yeah. Dangerous you, things, you guys. You don't. Good all times. right. Happy Halloween. Yay. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jen and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury. We'd love it if you can leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts. You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts, or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website at you'regonnadieoutthere.com, where you can see our awesome eco-friendly sponsors and Nature Nerd Artisans page. If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email, you're going to die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye.
You know, Jen, it's because Melania Trump had a whole thing about anti-bullying. We all need to give a big thanks to Melania. <laughs> Just thank you so much. I wonder what she's going to wear on, like, as her jacket, what statement it's going to be when she goes to visit her husband in prison. On the back. <laughs> Just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, goodness. Orange is the new <laughs> Right? Okay. Well, That's a good at least, at least the orange jumpsuit will you know, match. I was like trying to come up with a joke in my mind, but that whole situation is a joke. I mean, not a joke, but there he's a joke. Anyway. He's a joke, but that thing is happening. Yeah. Haunted houses are not safe. I went to them as a kid or mm-hmm. a teenager, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And I would always go with a group of friends. Mm-hmm. And I would basically bury my head in the back of one of my friends and just like a braver friend. Yeah. And not look around. I would kind of peek out and, um, you know, and they'd always do like the chainsaw at the end to chase you out. But okay, so I have been to three haunted houses in my life. I don't remember. I went to a lot. Three like instances of haunted houses. Mm -hmm. Number one, um, I went to this place called Horror Hill. Mm -hmm. I might have talked about this last Halloween. I don't know. Maybe it is this place. I grew up in a place in Georgia. It's super rural. You drive all the way out to this house that has like a trailer and a house and it goes up a hill (laughs) and you hike through the woods with a group of people. And along the way, it's like lots of chainsaws. Okay, I went I did that when I was probably like 10 or 11. Oh, my God. That's too young. It was too young. Yeah. I nearly broke my aunt's finger. I was like clutching onto her so hard. Um, Yeah. I was. Your aunt took you to that? I would never take my 11 year old to the house. I was insanely scared. Well, she had like an older daughter and my cousin was like older. And then she had the my other cousin is like about the same age as me. And they were super into like it was like fun for, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's fun. I think my parents came. I don't know what we we went up. It was. I mean, I still remember very vividly (laughs) moments of that. I was so scared. I thought I was definitely going to die. Okay, we went back the next year. No, maybe like four years later, five. It's it's a staple. It's an instant. I don't. Maybe they still have it there. It's like it has been in this my hometown forever. And we went again when my brother was old enough to go. He's seven years younger than me. So Mm -hmm. when he was old enough to go, my dad took him. Right. I made it to the check-in booth. And then you're like, nope. And I hid behind the check-in booth for their entire time. Like You have to physically walk up this hill and go through through a house. You come back down the hill. It's actually a long thing. It's like a whole thing. You're like, nope, I'll be here. I sat, yeah, behind there. And every so often, they would have a guy with a chainsaw run through the people who were waiting to get their tickets. What is with that? And I was like, head buried. There was like, hey, I remember there was hey. I was just like... Can I physically get into this hay barrel? It was so traumatizing. Um, the third haunted house that I've been in was about two years ago when they had three years oh, ago. I remember this. Yeah. Because my son wanted to go and we had just moved here and he didn't know a lot of people. He knew like a couple friends from uh-huh. school, but he was like, Mom, come with me through this haunted house. And I was like, dude, listen, man, like, <laughs> like I'm scarred. You don't I don't understand. think you understand. Like, I cannot. I just can't. I can't do haunted houses. Mm-hmm. It's like very traumatic for me. He was like, but mom, I really want you to go. And I was like, okay, I can do it. You know, I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm tearing you're up not, right now. You're as not I'm 10 and I, she is. I was like, I can do this. It's totally fine. She's so tearing up right now, you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. You're okay, Megan. <laughs> I'm okay. And we went through it. We went through this haunted house. I was like, okay, I don't, I didn't really yell, but I yelled at people. Like... <laughs> Like, get away. 
<laughs> like, was, like, I was, like, constantly on alert. I was, you know, like, also trying to protect my son for some reason. Like, he's the one who wanted to do this. And he has been through many haunted houses. He's, like, into that. He's like, this is so funny. haha. <laughs> you know, people are, like, laughing. And I'm like, I will karate chop. If you touch me. <laughs> it's done. It's over. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. We well, went through that. I feel like there was a time and when we went through somewhere that people doing the haunted house would yeah. kind of get too close and almost touch you. Oh, yeah. Or touch you. And yeah. I'm like, no. Don't, don't even, I don't think they do that anymore. Think I mean, you can't, no. you can't do that. No, no. But there was one year, I went to a bunch. I don't remember. It was fun to me yeah. to go with my friends because, I, I don't know, just, it was pretty fun. I don't know. Just everybody's reaction after, I mean, it was just funny. Mm-hmm. But one year, there was this guy walking behind me. He was dressed as like a werewolf. I don't know. It wasn't too scary, but I was yeah. like... To make myself not scared, I started a conversation with him because he was trying. I was like, hey, so I don't remember what I said, but afterwards he asked me on a date. (laughs) I don't think I ever went. I was like 15 or 16, but yeah. This is my new dating. He was like a kid. He was also like (laughs) a young, he wasn't like an old man. He was like a young guy. He was like a 45 year old guy. (laughs) He's like, you want to go out? He's just like smoking. He's like, hey. He's like a carny. <laughs> you want to go out? Yeah. I was like, no, think about it. <laughs> mm, I'm okay. No, I'm good. No. Oh. I, but he was, yeah, he was like a six, 16 year old or something. You know what, Jen? That's going to be my new dating strategy to go through haunted houses and just talk to people. Start conversations. Start a be conversation. Like, hey, can How's you- it going? turned off the chainsaw for a minute because I think you there's something um I wanted to tell you I do I know you <laughs> have we met <laughs> just you seem really familiar to me yeah you, that was my strategy for not getting scared that is I was like these are real people I told myself these are real people right. dressed up yeah and I had a feeling that the kid behind me was like around my age so I was like yeah. hmm. What school do you go to? <laughs> I I anyway. will never forget that the beginning of that one that I just recently went to uh, was that it was a black room and it had white masks on the walls, like all uh-huh. these like levels of white masks. And then they had someone dressed in all black wearing a white mask and they would walk up behind Ew. you. Ew. And we were like the last people in the group. Oh, no, you never want to be the no, last people and I, in the group. I, I was like, I don't want to. And I told the guy at the door, like, I don't want to be the last person. And he yeah. was like, he was like, well, I'm sorry. Like, this is we only allow this many people. And like, he's like, if you wait, like, it looks like there's this big group and like, you'll have to wait another like 30 minutes. And I was like, I'll wait eight days. OK, I'll like, wait. Never. <laughs> I'll just never. Like, can I just not? Can yeah. You go, I was like, can you go through with my son? Like, is that a thing? Can somebody just take him? Yeah. I mean, Yeah. That oh sounds awful. Yeah, I'm not I'm not into it, but I would never take my young kids. No. I went with my friends when I was like 12, 13 on yeah. up to 16 around there. And then I was like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. A Why lot. would you go in a chimney in an abandoned building? Kids, Jen. No. Yes. <sighs> um, so what like a lot of these cases are actually burglars. I can't say that word. Burglar. Robber. Burglar. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a hamburglar? <laughs> I cannot say that word. I, I wrote, got you. I wrote robbery throughout this and I was like, I should have said burglar. <laughs> I can't do it. I told you about that time that that time that I took my daughter into one of the stores here on Guam. Mm-hmm. It's because we took care of fruit bats yeah, yeah. at the wildlife refuge and she would always go with me. Um, and so when we went to the store, she's like, mommy, and said it really loud. Smells like fruit bats in here. And the guy started laughing, but it's just because they smoke so much weed in the back of the store. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really good. That's good. Anyway. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> but the guy part. was like, 
has she eaten fruit bat? And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> it smells like fruit bat in here. We that's, don't do that. That's the best. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to teach all little kids that. <laughs> so now when my daughter smells it randomly, like if it's coming from somewhere, right. we just, because we don't. We, right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying, like, it's all cool. Whatever anybody wants you to do. Everybody. Yeah. But if she smells it somewhere, then yeah. she'll always be, I'll be like, hey, that's some fruit bat. <laughs> but honestly, if you're walking through the forest and you smell it, yeah. you can be happy. It's Typically, it does mean a fruit bat yeah. or some guy smoking some weed somewhere. It's true. It's just, <laughs> it's just some guy hiding behind a bush. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I think there's guano over here. And it's just like, well, no. I see some fruit bat droppings. <laughs> no. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay. Anyway. We work in natural resources, Jen mm-hmm. and I. Yes. Um, and I was approached by somebody mm-hmm. who said, oh, I have this daughter. She is a Girl Scout. And they're not from Guam. They're not from Guam. Yeah. Had only been in Guam for like a few months or a year mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. She was trying to get, was it like, might have been like her top scout badger like i don't remember if she was like in high school or if she was like i think she was younger and it seems like she was trying to get a a, badge uh, right a badge for wildlife or something and so i had gotten an email that basically was like hey can you help out this guy whose daughter is a girl scout she wants to build bat boxes okay and i was like for fruit bats Mm-hmm. And she had apparently, you know, was like, oh, I want to build these bat boxes. It's going to be so great. Um, and she went online and she got like plans, di- plans. A for, diagram. Yeah, or a diagram like, yeah. for how to make these bat boxes. And they were so small. <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were for like these like tiny little brown bats, you know. Uh-huh. They're for like an East Coast bat, uh-huh. like not a fruit bat. And I just kept imagining like some fruit, some fruit. Well, number one, fruit bats wouldn't even try. But just like trying to get up it. Just so squished, you know. Just jammed in there. <laughs> Anyway, and I, you know, I, I remember that I had told that guy, I was like, listen, listen, dude, like, mm-hmm. that's such a, I love, you got a compliment first, right? Oh, I love this. I, this is such a great idea that she wants to help wildlife. Mm-hmm. But like, let me just educate you. Like, I'm not a bat biologist and I can tell you right now that that's not going to work. You need to know your species. Got to know your species, man. Well, and I feel like if my, if memory serves, she had already built Yes. The bat box. Yes. And so it was like already done. She just wanted to know where to put them. And the parents were so encouraged. I mean, the they, parents were, it was very sweet. It, it was, was super all, sweet. And it was like, uh Like, I didn't want to let this girl down. Yeah. It's like, I want to encourage STEM. I want, you know, yes. but it, also I want to be like, hey, let's back up for a minute. You're awesome. You're so, <laughs> you are great. I love this idea. I also, wonder if we could have encouraged Google. her to send some, send them back to places. Yeah. Like someplace else. Yeah. And sure. stateside, some mm-hmm. relatives who could use it in their backyard. And then there was some conversation about like, well, what about sheath-tailed bats? Because they're kind of small mm-hmm. here in Guam, but they're not like, that's not a thing for them, right? No. And also, they're not here anymore. Oh, that's right. That we not know of. Yeah. She could have sent them to like the CNMI or something. Because mm-hmm. they're there. Aren't they there? Yeah. But I don't know if they would use those. Right. I would have just told her to send them back to your relatives. Yeah. You made it. That's great. Wildlife. Woo. But like also... Fruit bats won't fit. (laughs) (laughs) And they would never even consider it. It's like sometimes, yeah, you want to be encouraging. Like, I didn't want to be that person who's like, have you ever seen a fruit bat? (laughs) Do you even, like, know what you're doing? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Poor kid. End story. You handled it well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it was good. 